Let me uh, pray for us, and then we'll dive into Hebrews chapter 13 once again. God, we do thank you for your word. Lord, it is a privilege to be able to come together and worship, to be able to come together and ponder your word together. So, Lord, we pray that over these next few minutes, you would grant us understanding. Lord, help us, we pray. Help us by the truth of your word, the power of your spirit. Encourage us where we need to keep doing what we're doing right. I pray that you would convict us where we are out of alignment with you. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. And that only what is of you will be heard and understood. And Lord, what is of me would vanish. Lord, we pray that you would speak for your servants, your people are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word and would like to open up to uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, this is our second to last sermon in Hebrews. Second to last time that we'll be looking at it. Second to last time we will be in Hebrews 13. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever played the game horse? H-O-R-S-E. If you're, if you're not familiar with it, it's a fun little basketball game. It doesn't require a lot of skill. Essentially what happens is you can play with two people or you can play with ten. And the way horse works is, is the first person will shoot a basket. And if they make it, then the, all the people behind them have to make the next shot. And whoever misses gets a letter. And the first person to get all of the letters, H-O-R-S-E, is out. And so, of course, the last person to get all of those letters, if you're playing with a bunch of folks, wins. Now, it, it, what's, what's funny is that when you get going, a lot of times, you know, people are making shots and they're, and they're just doing easy things. They might do layups, they might do free throws, they might do something, but ultimately you want to win. So you're going to do the toughest, trickiest shots you can. So some people would do the whole Dr. J thing, right? That hook shot. Some people will go behind the back and just toss it up, hoping that it makes it in. Of course, if it, do, if it goes in, there's the chance of your opponent making it in is not likely. Some people do it with their eyes closed. Some people, as they're shooting it, they'll say swish, which means it can't touch the rim at all. And if the opponents get it in but touch the rim, well, that's a letter and they're out. Some people do super long shots where you can't even do a normal shot. You've got to throw it like a baseball across the court, hoping that it would go in. Other people, when they get really tricky, they want to see how good you are with both hands. They'll tell, you, tell all the right-handers you've got to use your left hand. And tell all the left-handers you've got to use your right hand in order to make it as difficult as possible. And, and, you know, in that game, that's part of the point is you want to make it as tough as possible for those who are behind you so you can win the game. But when it comes to life in the church, we want to have leaders who are worth following. Not because they make it difficult, but because they make life consistent and livable. You see, last week when we considered um, some of the elements of acceptable worship, we talked about what, looks, what it looks like in community. And we talked about how love was a big factor. Love for one another, love for outsiders, um, and love for those who are being persecuted. But we also talked about what it looked like individually and that we should live lives of contentment. As the the writer of Hebrews is closing his argument, 
on the supremacy of Christ, he brings up one other element of this communal life together, and that is leadership. That is leadership. You know, see, you see, in God's wisdom, he calls various people to be in that role of spiritual leaders in our lives. Some for a short time, some for longer. And there's a sense in which we can immediately look at the verses that we're considering today and think about pastors and elders. And there is a way that, you know, I think it is talking about pastors and elders, but we're going to look at it a little bit more broadly than that. You see, the qualifier, if you look in your Bibles, this won't be on the screen, but I want you to look in your Bibles just very briefly. In verse 7, he says, remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of God. Leaders who spoke to you the word of God. That is the qualifier that the writers, writer of Hebrews includes in here. And essentially, as, as I think about this, as I'm processing this, I'm thinking, who is it that spoke the word of God to me? Well, I can think of my parents. I can think of all those Sunday school teachers. I can think of all those youth leaders, all those camp counselors, all those pastors that I've served under, all those pastors who've been, you know, that have just been a part of their church. All of these people have spoken the word of God specifically to me. But think about in your life, who has God allowed to speak the word of God to you? Maybe it was a mentor or or someone who would disciple you. Maybe it's the women's community Bible study leader. Maybe it's a group of sisters who are gathering together, studying the word of God. So as we, as we reflect on acceptable worship as it pertains to our relationship to leaders, we're going to consider three types of leaders. Now, I'm going to give you all the answers right here, so if you want to fill them in, you can. We're going to look at past leaders. We're going to look at peculiar leaders. And yes, because we need to alliterate, we're going to look at present leaders. Past leaders, peculiar leaders, and present leaders. So if you want to fill out your outline, the very first one there is, is past leaders. And we see that in Hebrews 13, 7 to 8. You see, all of us have some sort of spiritual origin story. All of us have, have someone, some way that God worked in our lives to bring us to the, into the faith, to bring us somewhere to cause us to grow. And I would bet for most of us, our parents had played a significant role in that. I know my parents played that role very significantly in my life. Not, and here's the thing, not because they were superstar Christians. They were just faithful Christians. Week in and week out. From the time I was less than a week old, we were in church. They were in Sunday school. I'd probably sit in a little baby carriage next to my mom or be in the nursery having someone sing songs to me. And then they would, we'd be in worship, and, and our church back then, we had Sunday night church. And so we'd go back to church on Sunday night, and my parents, who had a little bit of musical ability, would sometimes play, the, play songs and sing and all that kind of stuff. So all that, all that to say, my parents did what they could to expose me to the gospel from the earliest possible age. Now, I've lost track of all the names of the Sunday school teachers I have, but when I was five years old, there was a, one, of, one of my Sunday school teachers, and I want to say I think her name was was Carol. She said something in Sunday school that helped me realize that there was a response I needed to make. It wasn't just coming to church that made me a Christian. It wasn't just being born into a Christian family that made me a Christian. It wasn't being born in America that made me a Christian. There was something else 
I needed to do. And, and so my response to that was to go home and say, Dad, how do I become a Christian? And he explained that to me. But all of that to say, all of these people, my parents, these Sunday school teachers, were spiritual leaders in my life who helped me understand what it means to be a follower of Christ, who helped me grow. They were catalytic in my conversion. There have been pastors and youth leaders, Bible teachers, professors, and more who've had that kind of impact in my life. And think about this. Who has that been in your life? Hebrews 13, 7 to 8 says this. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, he gives us three commands, three things. I, I love it when things happen in threes because then we can kind of consolidate. We can really think about it. But he gives us three things that we need to, to think about in regard to the leaders of our past. And one is to remember them and their teachings. Remember them. Remember who they are, the people that they are, and the things that they said. I don't know why it sticks out this way, but there's a guy who was impactful in my life as a kid. His name is Dave Grubick. When I was in sixth grade, I was just I, I, I was taking guitar in, in music class at school and kind of learned. I kind of liked what the youth group was doing. And Dave was he like grew up sort of like Rick playing classic rock and he was, he was a bit of a rocker and so we would rock out Wednesday nights with our youth group well I couldn't hardly play at all but Dave said hey Joel why don't you come watch my hands watch my strum and do what I do so he'd be rocking out and I'd be but he, he like took me under his wing and he said Joel keep going keep going keep. And eventually after a few weeks or months I was able to lead it all on my own I could actually keep a rhythm and it wasn't often that Dave got to talk, but the one of the talks that he gave, I still remember. I, I, at least I remember the passage, which is the important thing. Because, you know, frankly, sermons can kind of go in one ear and out the other. But as long as you get to the meat of Scripture. And the passage that Dave talked about was this. He said in Galatians 6, 7 to 9, he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You see, Dave was challenging us as teenagers to, to sow seeds that were going to lead to eternal life, to sow seeds in our lives that were going to have impact. For eternity, not just things that were going to cause us to, to have pleasure. But Dave was, a, was one of those many guys who spoke the word of God to me. Time and short memory may prompt us to forget those people's names, but we can remember what they taught. And specifically, remember what they taught about the gospel. Remember what they taught about the gospel. And that, what is the gospel? We, we talked about this a while ago, and there's an, an acronym we can use. If you want to do this, this won't be on the screen, but you, you can write G-O-S-P-E-L going down on your page. And essentially the gospel is this. The G stands for God. God who, who created us in his image, who wanted to have us in fellowship with him. God 
created all things and wanted communion with us. But the O stands for our and the S stands for our sin because our sin created a barrier in that relationship between us and God. And so recognizing that he had to do something. In fact, elsewhere in, in the book of Hebrews, we read that um, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The passage that Charlotte read earlier talked a little bit about that. There were sacrifices that took place in, in and around the temple and the bodies were burned outside. But Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. So God, our sin, paying, the P is for paying. He paid for your life and mine through the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, in the old system, they would go back week after week after week, year after year, killing animals to pay for their sin. But in one day, one long, dark, painful day, Jesus Christ offered up his body for us, paying for all eternity the cost of our sin. So God, our sin paying everyone bible says that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life paying everyone life the gospel in a nutshell i didn't come up with that some other rapper dude came up with that but i'll steal it for today god our sin paying everyone life think about that think about the people in your lives in the past who presented the gospel to you showed you the depth of God's love for you, showed you how he is displaying his glory through the death of his son, giving us life, eternal life with him. You know, one of the songs that we sang um, says, one with himself, I cannot die. And, you know, as I, when I was listening to that this morning as I was walking, I was thinking, wow, that, that must... That can sound really weird, but think about this. When we are, have been united with Christ by his blood, yes, our bodies will die. We will be buried. People will hopefully celebrate our lives. Not celebrate our death, but celebrate our lives. But because we've been with him, we are now eternally with him. So there is no condemnation. We're with him for all eternity. So we're, we're challenged to remember our past teachers, them and their teaching. But secondly, we're, we're challenged to reflect on their lives. The writer of Hebrews says, consider the outcome of their way of life. You see, our faith should be able to be lived out for the long haul. No leader is going to be perfect. You know, your Sunday school teacher, some pastor in the past, some, this pastor is going to, we're all going to fail at some point in time. But overall, there should be a consistency between what is taught and how our leaders live. If they are truly submitted to Christ and to what they taught, then we should see that worked out in how they live. There's brilliance, there's beauty in what God has done as we daily deny ourselves, take up our crosses and follow him for his glory. So the question is, can we see the long-term fruit in their lives? But thirdly, we're challenged to replicate their faith. Specifically, he says to imitate their faith, imitate their way of life. 
Let them model for you how faith is lived. Consider their habits. Is there a regular Bible reading, Bible um, meditating routine? Are they, are they immersing themselves in the Word of God? Their service. How did they serve the Lord if they've gone on to the be with the Lord? How, how did they use their gifts and talents to be a blessing for others? Did they do it to bless others or did they do it to, to gather for themselves a claim? And I hope that true leaders who are worth following are those people who are, who are going to push it to be a blessing to others and not be about themselves. But we also should replicate their attitude, especially in the midst of suffering. How do these people deal with challenges in life? How do they respond to successes? How do they respond to the humdrum of normal, everyday life? Are they faithful? You see, these leaders who spoke the word of God to us spoke timeless truths that are consistently livable. Which I think is part of why he concludes this section by saying Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The, the message that they proclaimed, the life that they live is going gonna, is gonna to represent that Jesus Christ is the same. He's not going to change. The life he lived, the death he died, the life he now lives at the right hand of the throne of God interceding for us, he is consistent. So let me read these two verses again in another translation. This is the the message translation. It sounds a bit differently, but I hope you get the gist of what he's really trying to get us to understand. Then it says, appreciate your pastoral leaders who gave you the word of God. Take a good look at the way they live and let their faithfulness instruct you as well as their truthfulness. There should be a consistency that runs through all of us. For Jesus doesn't change. Yesterday, today, tomorrow. He is always totally himself. So we need to take a look back. We need to remember those men and women who've had an impact in our lives. But the writer of Hebrews makes a bit of a change in the next several verses as he warns us about peculiar leaders. Now, I know peculiar sounds like a strange word because it means strange. And I don't mean that these are quirky people. But what they're doing is these are peculiar leaders because they are introducing strange and contrary teachings, especially about Jesus. You see, it's important for us to be reminded that the first century hearers of this message were primarily Jewish background believers. They were people who came out of that sacrificial system, believed that Jesus Christ had once for all paid for them. And, and now we're walking in this. But as we talked about before, they're being pressured. They're being pulled back. People questioning, well, who is Jesus? What is he really all about? This is what I heard. This is... And so he's really trying to tell them, hey, pay attention. Watch out for these peculiar leaders. You see, we may not have leaders necessarily pressuring us to in the same way that these Jewish background believers of the first century have. But we do have plenty of pressures around us. Leaders who are introducing new and strange doctrines, worldviews, different ways of thinking, ways that are contrary to the word of God. And for us and for the first century audience, the writer of Hebrews gives us this charge and he simply says, resist, resist their teaching." He gets into some technical things about the sacrificial system. 
But he, he, he basically says in, in Hebrews 13, 9, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by food. Grace being what Jesus Christ has done for us, not by certain foods, eating a certain way or, or, or acquiescing to a certain system, which have not benefited those devoted to them. So think about this. Have you ever been on been whitewater rafting? Or, or been on one of those fun little lazy river things where you sit on an inner tube and you just float around? There are times when, when you know, the lazy river is supposed to be easy. You're supposed to just kind of go at a slow pace and it, hopefully in the end you come back to where you start. Or at least you go down far enough to some, somewhere so somebody can take your inner tube up for you and you don't have to carry it all the way back to where you came. But whitewater rafting can be one of those things that is challenging because you're, you're drifting along and all of a sudden the water begins to rush and you're being pressured in a certain position. And you might try to paddle backwards or paddle in a certain way to turn around obstacles and rocks, but the water is pushing you downstream. And I, I bring that up because the verb that is translated, do not be led away, has with it these connotations of getting caught up into the flow much like we would in rafting in, in, on a lazy river, getting caught up in the flow of these diverse and strange teachings. You see, our society is full of currents that are bombarding us daily, whether it's views on social and racial matters, political action points, climate change, revising history, or any number of other teachings. The currents in our society are strong, and frequent, and for that, the, the writer of Hebrews tells us, resist their teaching. But the challenge is, how do we resist? How do we prevent, how do we avoid being led away by these teachings? What we need is an anchor point. And to this, the writer of Hebrews says, secondly, remain with Jesus. Remain with Jesus. Let him be our anchor. Get out of the flow and get with Jesus. Look at what it says in, in Hebrews thirteen twelve to 16. He says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people, who, sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share with what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You see, there's a, a temptation that we have of making our faith private, personal, secretive. I don't want anybody to know I'm a Christian. And we may fear that fully identifying with Jesus will make life difficult. And it may make things more difficult. Because we're ultimately going to find that the life that we're living anchored in Jesus Christ, there's a lot of turbulence with that flow of, of, of thinking, the flow of teaching that's coming in from around us. There will be pressure. But we have to keep an eternal view and recognize that we aren't simply fighting for peace and tranquility here. Because ultimately, we may never see that. We can be as loving to our neighbors and so-called enemies as we feel like we need to be, we should be. 
We may not ever see the peace that we're hoping for here, but we are fighting for a peace and tranquility that will be in that, in that eternal city, that city to come. And so by remaining with Jesus, we are offering sacrifices, not in the way that the old covenant did, not in killing animals, not in following certain ritualistic rules, but we're offering up sacrifices by proclaiming him with our words, willingly confessing that we are his and he is ours. How often does Jesus cross our lips in everyday life? This morning with the middle schoolers, we're working through a series on apologetics and we're looking at a video and one of the students kind of boldly came out to one of her other students, not, not on the video. And on the video, she's like, hey, have you heard of the gospel? Have you heard of what this is? She kind of boldly put herself out there and then, of course, was ridiculed because of that. But I wonder how often would people know that we are Christians if we, wouldn't, if we, if we don't say anything? They might be able to see things in the way that we live, hopefully. We don't have to be strange and quirky about it, but we can let our standing be known and acknowledge His name with our lips. But we can also remain with Him by proclaiming Him with our deeds. The gracious salvation that we've received from from Jesus should impact how we treat others. And in fact, the the writer of Hebrews encourages us to do good and be generous. In this time of year, I know Thanksgiving really already happened because now all the Christmas things are out, right? But this time of year is a great time for us to think about those who are in need. In fact, there are, I'm I'm so excited, There's, there's several opportunities that we have right now. In this, in this season, these next couple of months, to demonstrate our faith by being generous. One of them is, is as a church, we're adopting another Wamco family. That's a family here in Poolsville, a family who has some sort of a need. In this case, it's a single mom with three kids. So we have the, this joy over the next couple of weeks to be able to bring in food, or some food, but grocery cards, clothing, in order to be generous toward this family so that they can celebrate Christmas. So that they can be blessed. There's another way that we can do that, and that is with the Operation Christmas Child boxes. As you guys know, these, these silly little boxes, we put in toys and trinkets and clothes, but they get boxed up and they get sent overseas. And the children who are open in these boxes will, will receive them with joy. I have met a man who, as a child, grew up in Albania and received these boxes as a kid. And he told me what a joy it was to be able to receive that. He ultimately came to faith and is actually a pastor. Who knows where these silly little boxes will go, what they'll do, but I know that Operation Christmas Child Samaritan's Person, all the people, they're, they're planting churches and they're trying to do good work around the the distribution of these boxes. They don't just give a gift and say, see ya. They actually share the gospel. They help people understand this is why you are receiving this. Last week we talked about hospitality, looking for ways to minister and serve others. Think about that. What would it be like to open your home to someone in need? Someone passing through? Share a meal with a neighbor or a stranger? 
But I think we can also be generous, show generosity in missions. As you know, being good Southern Baptists, we have the annual Lottie Moon uh, Christmas offering, which happens, starts on like, uh, it starts two weeks from today. And, and in this Lottie Moon fund, what happens is all the Baptist churches from norm, mostly over North America will send resources together in order to support international missionary work. The beauty of it is that it's all these, it goes 100% to, to, to that work. And so in the next couple of weeks, we'll start tell, talking a little bit more about that. But I want, I'm telling you now because I want you to be prepared. Because a couple of weeks ago, the deacons, or a couple of days ago, the deacons and elders met together. We were looking at our budget, looking at the resources that we have. And basically we realized, uh, you know, I, I asked the question, I said, should we set a goal? Should we put a goal at $1,000, $2,000, $10,000? What should we? And the guys were like, oh, that feels a little fake. And so here's what we realized we could do. There are resources that, because of a previous year's budget, we put money into missions, and it's just waiting to be used. So this year, whatever money we put toward Lottie Moon is going to be matched by money that you have already given. So if you give $100, it becomes 200 If you give 500 it becomes 1000 If you give 10000 all together, all of us, 10000 Now, don't all of us give 10000 Well, uh, yeah, we, can't, we don't have the resources to do that. But the beauty is whatever we give is going to be doubled. And we'll send that together as a church to commission missionaries, to send people in different parts of the world proclaiming the good news. So the question is, are our actions graciously proclaiming our position in Jesus, that he is our anchor, he is our source. We've seen how we should consider our past leaders and how, should, how we should watch out for the peculiar leaders. But finally, the writer of Hebrews provides some instruction for us regarding present leaders. In verses 13 to, or I'm sorry, 17 and 19, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us also, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you, I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. See, I've been I, I've been wrestling with this section a little bit this week because there's a there's a sense in which this passage can come across as self-serving. I could just say, hey, the Bible says you should obey and submit your leaders. I'm a leader. Obey and submit to me. One of the joys and challenges of systematically walking through the Word, walking through Scripture, is that we get to address all sorts of topics. So as it comes up, as Scripture brings it out, we get to talk about it. I didn't pick it. It's just this is what we get to talk about today. The text dictates the subject. But here's the thing. As one of your leaders, the last thing I and I think all the other guys want you to do is to blindly or naively obey and submit. In fact, the writer of Hebrews isn't calling us to blindly obey and submit. So think about this. The first thing we are challenged to do is respond with reasoned obedience and submission. 
reasoned obedience. That word rendered obey has its in, has at its root it means to persuade or convince. The idea here is not blind, thoughtless obedience, but reasoned, thoughtful consideration, and then submission as a response or yielding to what God is doing, how God is leading. Think through why the leaders that God has placed in your life might be asking you to do certain things. If they are leaders truly worth following, then it won't be self-serving. It'll be for your good. It'll be for my good, the leaders that I follow. The writer of Hebrews gives us two reasons why, why this obedience and submission be, should be considered. The first is that these people are keeping watch over us. These people are keeping watch over you. In fact, the, the, in, in the original language, it has a lot of, has, a, has the suggestion of going sleepless. Leaders are going sleepless on your behalf. Genuine leaders have a sincere desire for your spiritual health and well-being. And they will willingly lose sleep sometimes out of concern for you. But not only are they keeping watch and looking out for you, secondly, they are accountable to God. The leaders that God places over us spiritually will ultimately give us give an account to God on behalf of what they've done. How they've instructed, how they've provided, how they've guided and cared for us. You see, being a leader in the body of Christ is not an ego trip. It's a sacred privilege. And those called to lead should do so prayerfully and carefully. And I do want to encourage you, be, be mindful, be careful with the outside influences. All the podcasts and all the radio stations, we can, we, can, we can be bombarded with so many even contrary thinking and teaching inside the church. And I want to just encourage you, where is their spiritual accountability? People out there, they're saying good things, most of them. There are some good godly leaders and teachers and things like that. But think about where we are in a matter of covenant. Who is truly accountable before God for you? But in addition to re- responding with reasoned obedience and submission, we are challenged to reward them with joy, reward our leaders with joy. And in the second half of verse 17, he says, let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage of, to you. As I've said before, no leader is perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to make decisions that we're like, ah. And there should be a balance between questioning and complying. In how you relate to your leaders, do you think they look forward to encounters with you? Or are they groaning like, oh, no, not again. And let me just say that as a team of elders, we would certainly rather hear a complaint or a question rather than silence and a root of bitterness and division being brought, to, brought in the situation. We, we want to encourage conversation. If you disagree with something, we want to hear it. But finally, when it comes to how we relate to our present leaders, we should request of God. We should pray for them. 
And the writer of Hebrews concludes this section by stating in, in Hebrews 13, 18 and 19, he says, Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, unfortunately, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. He never identifies himself to us. But it's clear that that his first century audience knew who he was. And we don't know exactly why he was separated from them, but he, he wanted to be restored to them. And so he asked that they pray for him in that way. He acknowledges that he's trying to have integrity in what he has said, but longs to be fully consistent. And I think every leader truly wants to be consistent. What we teach from the word needs to be lived out here, and we're all a work in progress in that. And so he's encouraging us to pray for our leaders, and I want to encourage you, please pray for me, that I will be faithful to teach what's here, that I'll be faithful to live out what is here. But don't just pray for me, pray for others as well. Because even just in our church, we've got a lot of leaders. I mean, think about this. Think about the, those leaders who are leading the adults. You have Carl and Vern, Vern and Brian as they're teaching on Sunday morning. You have Jackie as she's leading the women's Bible study. And other discipleship group leaders as those get ramped up. Be praying for them. But what about the, the, those leading the children's ministry, those leading children? I already told you how impactful some of those teachers were in my life. But as you think about it, be praying for Carolyn, Jordan, Jackie Adama, Jackie Conkus, Joyce, Mark, Sam, Don, Michelle McNeil, Michelle Souter, Zach, Misty, Melody, Lori, Abby, Crystal. Be praying for those leaders who are serving and teaching the word of God to the youngest among us. Or those who are working with the youth like Dan and Andrew as they teach on Sunday mornings and the whole youth leadership team as they plan events. People like Joanna and Sam, Michelle and Danielle and Dan. For those who are teaching the word of God as we worship. I mean, think about all the theology we learned this morning just as we were singing. And we have people like Rick and Dan, Melody, Carolyn, Brian, Charlotte, Steve. Ethan and Tyler to thank for that. Pray for those leaders. But also for those who are teaching the word of God by serving. Think about this. Think of all the deacons that God has blessed us with and how they serve the body. They may not speak. They might not teach with words, but they teach with their actions. We have Dan and Gabriel, Brian, Tom, Robin, and Buddy. We can also think about those greeters, the people who are helping with the offering, people who are greeting us at the door, like Carol, Al, Vicki, Brian, Danielle, Will, Vern, Steve, Andrew, Carl, Tom. And then there's all those leaders who we don't get to see very often, people who are doing stuff behind the scenes, like Jackie Conkus, Margaret, Linda, Tammy, Renetta, Sandy Austin. And I want to just encourage you. I know we didn't do a new directory this year, but let me encourage you to be praying for people through our directory. If you pray for a couple of days, it'll take a few weeks to get through everybody. But just be praying and pray specifically for the leaders that they would be consistent in how, that we all would be consistent in how we live and how we teach. 
And hopefully when we teach and preach, we are teaching and preaching to ourselves first. And that's where that clear conscience comes into play, that that we need to make sure that the word that is taught is the word that is lived first. And so please pray that all of us will teach with a clear conscience, knowing that what we are teaching is lived out. And being, even being willing to acknowledge when we don't fully understand something or we aren't fully aligned with the word of God. And that's where confession comes into play, where we get to say, oh, please forgive me. I am not where I should be in this area. So I want to just close with this. The writer of Hebrews challenges us to think about our leaders, to pray for them, to remember those in our past. I want to encourage you this afternoon, maybe just go back and, and think, who, who is it that made an impact in your life? And if they're still around, maybe consider reaching out to them and just saying, hey, thank you. Thank you for faithfully teaching the word of God. And in your life, you, I would bet, are a spiritual leader to someone or you will be. So I want to encourage you, evaluate how are you doing. Someone is watching and someone is learning from us all the time. And then finally, how are you and I doing in regard to the spiritual leaders in our lives today? Are we reasoned obeying? Are we submitting? Are we making it joyful? Are we praying? Your leaders need that, especially the prayer. Speaking of that, let's pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your wisdom and how you've assembled your body. And Lord, you've called some for a special task. So Lord, we do thank you for the leaders that you've called out strengthen them as they speak the word of God to us we pray that you would give them clarity integrity give them wisdom as they serve with diligence we pray that you'd be glorified and that we your body would be encouraged and strengthened we ask all this in your holy name amen amen